Well, go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Village Church. If this is your first time here, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church. And as always, I am thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start with one main text this morning, but as always, we will be another text as well. Last Sunday, we started a short series on Thanksgiving. Of course, this Thursday, we set aside a day to give thanks for all that we have. As I talked about last Sunday, many will miss the irony of being thankful, yet having no God to whom that thanks ultimately will go toward, or it will just terminate on the material world, terminate on the people to whom or for whom rather we are thankful, yet no God to where the thanksgiving ultimately flows. Thanksgiving assumes a God to whom we are thankful. Anything less is simply unreasonable. Anything less is simply illogical. But with God, you can have true thanksgiving. You have the source from whom, to whom, and for whom all things exist and all things come, according to Romans chapter 11. And because of that, we can thank God rather every day of our lives and we can be thankful for his absolute sovereignty over all things, his absolute sovereignty over every detail of my life. And that is a principal element of what it means to submit to his lordship in your life. He is not just some transcendent being removed from the reality of my every day. Rather, he is imminently involved. He is a personal God. And ultimately, we know that that is is proven through the person and work of God the Son, Jesus Christ, to whom and through whom we worship God. You see, to thank God for everything means that our thanksgiving must begin at a point where our thanksgiving can transcend the physical world. And the point that I want to give you today at which thanksgiving begins must be the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, that is how God has revealed himself to us, through the person, through the work of Jesus. We do not have to live in terror of a sovereign God because of Jesus, and instead we can be thankful because God has not only shown that he is there, but he has shown his profound love for us in that God the Son went to the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, to give me a new life through the resurrection, and faith in him, in Jesus Christ, cultivates in my life a posture of thanksgiving that couldn't be there otherwise. And because of that, I want to submit to you that it is incumbent upon the Christian to be thankful. That is the only option. And that every moment of ingratitude in our lives in the face of any circumstance is a moment of sin. It is a moment by which we are at least relatively in that moment denying the very gospel that our gratitude flows to and through. That means that every action that flows out of the life of a Christian is and must be worship to God. And as we said last week, worship must be thankful in nature. That means that a part of your discipleship a part of your growth in following Jesus Christ is growing in how you express gratitude by not just kind of creating some ethereal reality, a mystical thankfulness by you're thankful on the inside. Rather, no, it must be an outward expression. You must learn to actually act thankful. All of you act something 
But the question you have to ask is, do I act thankful in my life? I want to start reading and use as our main text Colossians 3.17 this morning. In it, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae, and he says, And whatever you do, in word or deed. Now, in the original language, some of you are like, but what does that mean in the original language? It means whatever you do, in word or deed. That's what it means. That's profound. Whatever means whatever. Now, you may assent to that right now, but as soon as you walk out of that door, you're going to begin to qualify whatever, and it's going to be whatever you like, whatever you want, whatever you were hoping would happen. That's not what the text says. It says whatever, and that means whatever. If you like it, if you don't like it, whatever. If you want it, if you don't want it, whatever. If you were hoping for it or if you were dreading for it, whatever. Whatever you do in word or deed, that means in what you say and what you do. It's a simple definition, but it is a difficult reality to live in. And I would be willing to go as far as to say most, if not all of you, are not living by that reality. Your life does not reflect that reality in a proactive, intentional way every single day. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything. That like makes it worse. He doubles down. Everything. 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 Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him, through Jesus. And so number one this morning, I want you to understand that true thankfulness starts with the gospel. True thankfulness starts with the gospel. What do I mean by that? I mean that God demands a specific type of thankfulness from not just you, but from everyone on earth without qualification. And so I want you to see in two places where he qualifies the type of thanksgiving that you are to give, not just this Thursday, but every day in this text. The first place is when he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in what? The name of the Lord Jesus. You cannot do that without faith in Jesus. You can't do whatever in word or deed in the name of Jesus apart from the gospel of Jesus. But then, he, as I said, he doubles down twice in here. He gives you another one. Giving thanks to God the Father. How? Through him. Through who? Through Jesus. And so he gives you two qualifications for thanksgiving. And so God is not satisfied that you are just thankful in an arbitrary manner. I am thankful for material blessings. It's not sufficient. That material blessing must be traced to the work of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection, or it is not a sufficient type of thanksgiving according to the text. God demands that your thanksgiving be through the gospel somehow, and I want to figure that out today. And I also want to submit to you that thankfulness then, because of that, is a uniquely Christian gift. What do I mean by that? 
It's not that unbelievers can't be thankful. They can and are often, but what that means is, is that their thankfulness cannot fully express why, nor can it fully express to whom they are thankful. But there's a third reality in that, nor does God promise to accept their thankfulness. Just as God never promises that he will accept the prayer of a non-believer. He does not promise to accept the thankfulness of an unbeliever because God desires a redemptive form of thankfulness. He defines and demands that thanksgiving and acceptable ways must come through the gospel. That is the clear command of Colossians chapter 3 verse 17. That whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus while giving thanks to the Father through Jesus. That also means that you can't just do anything you want because Jesus doesn't like everything. So to do it in the name of Jesus means you have to conform it to the will of Jesus and then it becomes thanksgiving to God the Father through Jesus. Only Christians can do that. Therefore, what God deserves, he also commands be done in a specific way. He is not inclusive in the way that he treats thanksgiving. Ephesians chapter 5 echoes a similar sentiment in verse 20. He says, giving thanks always, always. Again, it's this never-ending thing. It can't just be selective. And I am selective in my thanksgiving. I don't like everything. Certainly don't like everything that comes my way. But he says always, giving thanks always, and oh, here it is again, and for everything. What? Unreasonable according to human standards, but perfectly reasonable according to God's standards, which is better than mine. Everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, must be in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right before Ephesians 5.20, he had spent the first 19 verses of that text laying out the wisdom necessary to live for any real meaning in this world. It must come through investing your life in the work of the gospel. That is the worship that God wants you to have. That is the praise that he wants you to receive. And then he brings it beyond just words of praise. And he says it must be a thankfulness that flows through your faith in Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving then demands a God to whom you must be thankful and a God who has made himself known in a specific way through a specific person for a specific purpose, then if you pretend he hasn't done those things, then your thanksgiving is heresy. Every moment of thankfulness in the life of an unbeliever because of this is damnable heresy. God only wants thanksgiving that is acceptable because Jesus has paid the penalty to make it acceptable. My worship cannot go to God apart from my faith in Jesus Christ and we must stop pretending otherwise. What do I mean by pretending otherwise? 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Starting in verse 14, the apostle puts it this way. Here's more thanks. He says, but thanks be to God. 
He begins it that way. This has got to start with thanks to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. I love that because I'm a winner. And if you're a believer, you are too. I mean, he says he doesn't lead us on a tour of being ashamed of our faith. He doesn't lead us through this world where we're like, I am so sorry that I am a Christian. I am so sorry if my faith offends you. I am so sorry that I have an exclusive pathway to God that if you don't join it, you will be under his wrath for eternity. I apologize. Is that the procession that you are on as a Christian if you are a believer? No. What does he say? It is triumph. It is victory. It is looking to the cross of Jesus Christ, realizing the shame that Jesus endured to pay the penalty for our sin, but then realizing the story continues. Three days later, Jesus Christ wins victory over sin, wins victory over death, gives me a new life, and he says, hold your head high. You have been reconciled in relationship to God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ. It is a procession of triumph through this world. Why do I say that? Because this Thursday you will go to a table with unbelievers. And they always say, there's two things you don't talk about on Thanksgiving, right? And it's not sports and interior decor. It's religion and politics. Here's my problem. I don't know anything about anything other than religion and politics. I'm literally, I'm ignorant about the rest of the world. I've spent my entire life on those two things. And so what am I supposed to be mute? Just sit there. Hmm. No, I walk to the table, triumphal procession. Steve, what are you thankful for? I am thankful for the triumph of Jesus Christ on the cross through the resurrection. And I would love to make all of you feel super awkward and talk about it. (laughs) That's the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. That when the world looks at you, and this is what they do, and this is what they're going to do. I don't care if it's a co-worker. I don't care if it is a family member. I don't care if it is an in-law or an outlaw. They're going to look at you if they don't believe the gospel. And they are going to try to make you feel shame for your faith to which I refuse. Because it is the only good thing about me. The Apostle Paul earlier in the text writes, he says, if I will brag about anything, I will boast only in what? The cross. And so the Christian must adopt an ethic of outward vocal thanksgiving to God. We must not be ashamed of our faith. We must wear it on our sleeves and they must hear it out of our mouths. How else will they know of the wonder of Jesus Christ? And we must stop obscuring the truth to unbelievers. They must know the futility of their thanksgiving. Because the thankfulness of unbelief doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't go towards the God who is there. The God who made all that is. The God who saw me in my sin and sent his son to pay the penalty on the cross for me in love. 
that furthers the necessity for Christians to be thankful in obvious ways. That means that if the only time you are obviously thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ is this coming week, then you are doing it wrong. I know so many of you across all of these services, and I see you guys act in all sorts of ways. Few of them smart. <laughs> Just kidding. And some of you act ungrateful for your life, and you know you do. You grumble every single day, every morning. You don't celebrate the new mercies of God that you receive. You celebrate the new complaints that you are able to make to anyone and everyone that will listen. And you're not on a triumphal procession with Jesus. You are on a losing procession of ingratitude. And you are known more for your complaint than you are for your thankfulness. That is not the life of a Christian. The life of a Christian looks to the cross of Jesus Christ, looks to the resurrection, looks to the gift of faith that God has given us in his sovereignty and says, I am so thankful. And when I consider the things that I lack, but I look to all that God has given, how could I be anything but thankful for the work of Jesus Christ in my life? You need to stop acting insane and start acting thankful. You need to start acting like your world is falling apart and there's nothing that anybody can do about it and you need to be thankful and that will heal so much that ails your mind. The life of a Christian, as I said, is to be marked by a triumphal procession, but that triumphal procession is honest. Look at what he says. He says, through us it spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him, Jesus, everywhere. Everywhere. You don't get to define that. God already has. For we are the aroma of Christ. So many of you don't embrace that lifestyle. You try to dampen the aroma of Christ because you're afraid somebody's going to ask you about it. I'm not afraid of the awkward conversation. I walk right into it. I love it because I have the aroma of Christ and I can't hide it. I don't want to hide it. I have what they need, but here's the truth. Among those who are being saved, you know, there's a promise there. It's a promise that if you walk in the triumphal procession of Christ, if you live to spread the aroma of Christ everywhere to everyone, people will come to faith in Christ through you. That's how God has designed the gospel to work. It is good news to be shared. And among those who are perishing. That's the part we don't like. But that's the only part we focus on. But I will not be ashamed of the aroma of Christ in front of the unbelievers around me who won't come to faith in Jesus regardless of what I say, regardless of how beautifully I fashion it, regardless of the eloquence of my words, regardless of the fact that, yes, the Scripture does have a defense for everything that they're going to say when they claim that belief not just in God but belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ is unreasonable and illogical. It's completely reasonable. It's completely logical. The illogical thing is to deny it. But I'm not going to water it down. I'm not going to dampen the aroma just because I'm going to enter into the presence of people who will perish without faith in Jesus Christ. They need to know that when they do perish, that they will face the God that they denied. 
and I'll be that messenger. And I won't be it begrudgingly. It's the way that God has designed his glory to be had. Therefore, I will be it joyfully. I will be it happily. I happily inform people that reject the gospel. Oh, that's a bad idea. Because you're going to pay the penalty for your sin for eternity. How will they know otherwise? So in thankfulness for everything, you need to realize that it is faith in Jesus that any thankfulness that is reasonable is built on. So if you're going around the table this Thursday and you are, you are happily talking about everything that you are thankful for, if you, follower of Jesus, begin with just material possessions, you've missed the script. You've missed the opportunity. Regardless of whose presence you are in, regardless of how they will respond, you loudly and you proudly say, I am thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ, without which I will never know the pleasure of God. That is the ethic of the Christian life. And it is through your gospel thankfulness that unbelievers can know the truth of salvation so that their thankfulness will finally have purpose when they come to faith in Jesus. I believe that every unbeliever I encounter, God has designed me to be the messenger of their salvation. I believe that. Why else would God put me in their presence? And I leave everything else up to God. But that's what I think. And some of you are intentionally avoiding opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Why? Because you are more afraid of them than you are afraid of God. What kind of Christianity is that? What kind of Jesus is that to follow? That is not an authoritative king. That is a begging peasant of which Jesus is not. We must proclaim his gospel because number two, Christian thankfulness should be obvious. Should be obvious. The world around me should see an obvious difference in me than they do in themselves. Obvious because there is nothing greater to be thankful for. But I want you to note a few verses before Colossians 3.17 and verse 15, here's what the apostle says. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All three verses, he speaks of the thankfulness that you are to have. But he speaks of three different parts of thankfulness. First, he begins with a thankful peace of Christ. Without Christ, you cannot have the peace of God in your life. In Christ, you have a supernatural form of peace that only comes from Jesus Christ. And he says, wow, gratitude. Are you thankful for that peace? But then he says, a thankfulness that comes from the word of God, for the word of God, into the lives of other people. Are you thankful for the word? Your thankfulness for the word should at some time be exhibited with you actually absorbing the word. It's pretty hard to be thankful for something you won't even read. 
But then you must be thankful for the name of Christ that in verse 17 gives you producing action in your life of worship toward God. And so thanksgiving then for the Christian is the overflow of a realization of just how precious and immense the work of Jesus and what he has done for you is. In other words, you cannot wrap your arms around how much you have to be thankful for in Jesus. I, it is so immense. I cannot wrap my arms around how immense the forgiveness of God in my life is for my sin. I, I can't quantify that. I'm so sinful, it's deserving of hell. For eternity, that's what I deserve. And yet in the gospel, total forgiveness since past, present, and future. That's immense. I can explain to you how immense the love of God is for me that he has given me a mission in this world that I don't have to continue in perpetuity searching for significance, asking what's my purpose in this world? Why do I exist? How immense is it that I can look at you in the face and say I know that I exist for the purpose of knowing Christ and making him known to others. That's the purpose of the Christian life. That is why we are here, and we can know it. I cannot tell you how immense it is to live in a world where every good and perfect gift comes from above, and I walk through this world alive every single day to experience the wonder of growing in my faith, growing in my obedience, being a disciple of Jesus Christ. But here's the kicker, multiplying discipleship as I make disciples teaching the word to other people. I cannot wrap my mind, I cannot wrap my arms around how immense the blessing of that is. And so I could go on for an hour telling you the things that I am thankful for that I cannot even wrap my arms around and it overflows to where there is so much about the gospel I can talk about that I can't cease to put it into language. Do you have that type of faith, friend? We do nothing to earn salvation. I can tell you from experience, I've done everything to earn condemnation. Yet, Jesus does everything to give us the incredible gift of salvation. What an amazing gift. Knowing that when I die, and I will, just like you, I have nothing to fear on the other side. I have everything to long for on the other side. No more pain. No more sin. No more death. Pleasures forevermore where I will see and worship Jesus face to face. Forever. I can't wrap my arms around that reality. Here's the, I'll be honest with you. I've been doing this for a long time. I can't even picture what that's going to be like. I can't put that into words. But here's the reality of your life. It is not necessarily obvious that you are thankful for those things, is it? It's not. It's not always necessarily obvious in my life. Oh, how much I want it to be. But it's not. Talk to those who know me. They know that there is no shortage of grumbling out of my mouth. 
There's so much negativity that distracts me. There's so much pain that consumes me. There's so much ingratitude that I have for things that I should be thankful for if I truly believe in the sovereignty of our Lord. Yet I dread in despair the outcome of so much that I face every single day. I act as one who is hopeless while God has said, be abundantly hopeful. But here's the opportunity that that brings for me and that that brings for you. It's not necessarily obvious that I am thankful, so I must focus on growing in my thankfulness. I must be the focus. I'm not in a static state. I'm in a dynamic life of growth, and God has given me an opportunity every day to learn thankfulness. 1 Corinthians 15 focuses on the reality and a defense of the resurrection. The reality that immortality is earned for us through the resurrection of Jesus if we place our faith in him. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 56. He says, the death, excuse me, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. That's all bad news. But thanks be to God who gives us what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And so he gives us this great mission where he says, here's how you do it and know that everything that you do for the gospel of Jesus Christ, none of it will be in vain. It will all be purposeful. It will all be mission oriented. It will all result in the glory of God. But where does that begin? So many of you seek to be immovable, steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, but you build it on a foundation of complaint. Do you want to have steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord faith? Then start at where verse 57 starts. Thanks be to God. Some of you are struggling in sin. Some of you are struggling with doubt. Some of you are struggling to have a motivation to do the work that God has called you to do in your life. And you are struggling because you are not thankful. The greatest enemy of life is death. It really is. It's coming for all of us. But since Jesus rose, here's what 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. Since he rose, the sting of death, it's not there anymore. Sin cannot condemn you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And if that is true, then all I have is that verse 57 victory. And thankfulness, reflecting on all of that, is what creates a life of steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord because we know that everything is for the Lord. And so when you zoom in on daily living, every single moment of every single day in your life, if you zoom in on that, I'll be honest with you, Truth is, your thankfulness will not be evident, obvious, in every circumstance. And I say this to our shame. 
But that must be the goal. And some of you are not setting a goal for that, are you? No, you just want the pain to be over, then you will be thankful. You want the relationship to reconcile, then you will be thankful. You want the hurt to be over, then you will be thankful. You want things to start going your way, then you will be thankful. You want the prayer to be answered in exactly the way that you prayed it, then you will be thankful. That is not the type of thanksgiving God is after in your life. Because there you anoint yourself God and say, in my sovereignty, I have a design. And if my design works out, then I will be thankful. That is not a thanksgiving that flows through faith in the gospel. That is the type of thanksgiving that flows through unbelief. And if you follow that path down the road the rest of your life, do you know what you will inevitably find at some point along the way? You will find that you will walk away from Jesus Christ because you were never a believer. Growing your relationship with Jesus will cultivate thankfulness through faith in Jesus because nothing can overshadow the amazing reality of the gospel and what it gives into your life. So I talked about this last week. I want to talk about it again this week on purpose. I mentioned last week a generation that is increasingly marked by the struggle with anxiety. And the reason that I talk about that is because it's a vital element of repentance and a vital element of faith. And I said, over the years, I say a lot of things that could be construed as controversial. But it's never the things that I like walk up here or write or record and, and say or do. When I think something's going to be controversial, it never is. I have the worst rubric for that. It's always the things that I think are just vanilla comments. It's just like I'll say something and then 32 emails fly in that I've ruined someone's life. And I'm like, oh, was that controversial? Now, blame my parents. Obviously, I was raised in a way where I don't think controversial things are controversial. I just thought this is what everybody thought. And so sometimes I'll say a thing and I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh, you have a problem? I thought everybody agreed with me on that. But rarely do I apologize. I'd rather convince you that I'm right. One such case is whenever I talk about anxiety being a sin. Which it is, by the way. And it's a controversial thing. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 points us to grow in our faith by rejecting and repenting of the sin of anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything. Need I say more? Now I know some of you want me to go to the original language, so let's do that. Do not be anxious about, I did it. Do not be anxious about anything. Is that a command? It's a negative command. It negates something. It says, don't do this. Are there qualifications? There's one. What is it? It's the word anything. In other words, don't be anxious about anything. And so when you're anxious about something, what does that reveal in your life? You can do this. <laughs> Unbelief, which is a sin. 
That's what it reveals, even in a small way. I'm not saying you're an unbeliever. I'm saying anxiety is a revelation of unbelief at some part of my life, something I don't trust God with, something that I want to take out of his hand, keep in mind, exercise control over it, even in the face of me saying, I can't control it, therefore I'm going to let it rip my insides apart. To which Paul says, then stop it. (laughs) But how? See, this is the thing I love about the scripture, is the scripture doesn't just say don't do it. The scripture also gives me the pathway to repentance. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? Oh, there it is. With what? Thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. If anxiety is the foolish attempt to take what I'm concerned about from God, control it myself, stuff it in there, ruin my life, ruin my brain, he says the only answer because of Jesus Christ is to look to the pain of the cross and the glory of the resurrection and say, if God can raise the dead then I can take my needs, my wants, my worries, my concerns, my anxieties. I can take them to him. Supplication is the request. He says, bring it to him, ask him, but if you do it without thanksgiving, you are doing it without a reflection of what he's already done in your life through the cross. And he continues, he says, let your request be made known to God. Verse 7, uh-oh, there's another one. And the peace. What's the opposite of anxiety? It's peace. Peace right here. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Many of you want to fight about the issue of anxiety and excuse your anxiety and say, no, mine is different. You want to qualify it because what are you you doing? You're saying, I don't understand how you could say that. Well, good news, neither do I because the scripture says it surpasses understanding. He's saying the relief from anxiety that trusting in Jesus Christ gives you is a supernatural type of relief that is not going to be understood apart from faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Human understanding is tainted by the corruption of sin. And then he continues and he says, it's going to surpass understanding, but it will guard your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, qualified gospel is necessary. I speak of this so much because this is an issue of spiritual warfare in this generation. You are paralyzed from moving forward with your life into the future that God has for you because you want to pretend that Jesus can die for your sins, but he cannot heal your emotions and mind. I will tell you, I would assume every single one of you pray for healing. I hope you do physically. I do every moment of every day. I stub my toe. I beg Jesus for 30 seconds to either take me or heal me. (laughs) Oh Lord, I can't take the pain. I beg him to heal me. I beg him to heal you when you are sick. I beg him. 
If we will go to him for physical healing, why don't we go to God for mental and emotional healing in our prayers? Cast all of your cares upon him for he loves you and at the proper time he will exalt you. Peter wrote that. It surpasses understanding because it's anchored in Jesus, not you. If you want the peace of Christ, be thankful for the gospel. Thirdly, this morning, the gospel cultivates thanksgiving in all circumstances. Thanksgiving goes beyond what you expected. Thanksgiving goes beyond what you wanted. I, I love seeing and hearing. I, I, get, I, get, I get wonderful messages of testimonies, of testimonies of how God works in people's lives. I see it on social media, and I'm so grateful when I do. But we tend to always share testimonies of how things turned out the way that we wanted them to. Got a great report from the doctor. God is good. The relationship was restored. God is good. The money came in. God is good. Got a parking spot. God is good. And here's the thing. Never feel ashamed of that. Never stop that. That is good. That is holy. That is worship. That is celebrating. But you can also assume that there is a retort from unbelief that will come to you and say, it's easy to thank God when things are going the way that you wanted them to go. But what about when they don't? What about when the healing doesn't come? What about when my prayers feel as though they're going completely unanswered? And the retort will be, could you have been thankful if there had been a negative outcome? I would say that is the test of genuine faith. When things work out how we desire, it is easy to say, thank God. When things don't, when things don't go the way we desire, it is difficult. And yes, we have to be honest, there is often silence. We only want people to know about our celebrations. We don't want people to know about our despair. What do we do? Well, Colossians 3.17, as we have seen, tells us that in whatever we do, and here's the key, not receiving the healing, not getting the answer to my prayer I wanted is something that I do. And so whatever you do, is an all-encompassing reality. If we look to God for the things we enjoy, we must also look to God for the things we dread. Everything comes from His hand. Your obsession with only looking to God when things go the way that you are, excuse me, that you want them to go, that's vanity. It could be unbelief. Faithful thanksgiving sees God's work in everything and trusts him with it. Again, the apostle writes two chapters after talking about the triumphal procession. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says this, starting in verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Then he takes a turn. 
So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, it doesn't feel that way. And it feels when you read that Paul is demeaning your suffering. Because a light, momentary affliction. I feel demeaned when he says that. I feel like he's belittling my pain. He is belittling my suffering. How dare he is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Okay, so now I get it. But see, some of you, you stop with the light momentary affliction. You say, it doesn't feel light. It feels like it's going to kill me. And it might. He says, the only reason you label it more than a light momentary affliction is because you have yet to experience that eternal weight of glory that you will experience, but only on the other side of the grave. And what Paul is doing is he's giving us this word picture and he's saying that if you're following Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, if you've been redeemed by him, there will come a day in eternity where you will have the eternal weight of glory put on you. You will see the resurrected savior face to face. Pain will be vanquished. Sin will be no more. Pleasure forevermore in his right hand. You will stand before him in celebration of the victory of the kingdom of heaven over all of the forces of evil. And in that moment, I believe that I will remember the pain. But he says in that moment, you will look back at the loss. You will look back at the people that walked away. You will look back at the disease. You will look back at the cancer. You will look back at this light momentary affliction and say, I can't even, I cannot even compare it to the eternal weight of glory. It was nothing. Friend, I know it doesn't feel like that right now. For some of you, it feels like you are already in hell, doesn't it? But here's the good news of Jesus Christ. If you put your faith in him, this is as close to hell as you will ever get. The eternal weight of glory. Paul deals with the real stuff of life. He doesn't avoid it. He doesn't ignore it. It's not all unicorns and rainbows. He tells us not to lose heart because we will be tempted to lose heart. Things will not always go the way we envision them to go. As I said last week, life is overwhelmingly difficult. You will probably have more bad days than good in this life. So how can you be thankful? Because you know that even the bad days are from the hand of God. And he is using them to renew your inner being through faith every single day. What is happening right in front of your face is not the whole story. According to verse 18 there. You would be a fool to think it does tell the whole story. Why? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead and so will you. 
Can you be thankful in the face of suffering? That is what will dictate the validity of your faith. This text tells us that the only reasonable way that we can face suffering with thanksgiving is through faith in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, even my suffering grows my thankfulness. And for that, I am thankful. A few application points this morning. First, intentionally cultivate thankfulness in your life. It's not going to happen by accident. You will drift towards ingratitude. You will not drift towards thankfulness. Proclaim your thankfulness for the gospel as often as you can. Connect your thankfulness to the gospel. Look for the lines of how what you have is from the hand of God. Prepare to suffer thankfully. Some of you are not preparing. You're preparing for everything to go your way. Fool's errand. If you're not suffering right now, you will be. Prepare for it. And then finally, enjoy Thanksgiving. Enjoy it. Through the name of Jesus Christ.